as my Hebrew professor used to say right before a quiz, let's do this. That's also Dr. Little. But he said it with a maniacal look in his eye because he was excited about making our lives hurt. We're not going to make our lives hurt today. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter, th- chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. may not be wise to mess with this too much. Okay. Ever look at someone else's life and think, man, I wish I had their life. Like, you see someone else who always has the perfect cup of coffee every day. Man, I wish I had their life. Okay. Probably not that, you know. Maybe it's those donuts last night. Oh, weren't those good? I don't know. I just really like those donuts. I got four. I had three of the sugar and cinnamon ones and one of the powdered ones, which is good but messy. And I I really like those because they stay with me. Next year at family camp, I will remember those donuts fondly. You know, it's a good life, okay? But have you ever looked at someone else's life and thought, man, I wish I had their life? I I would guess... If you're like me, that usually happens when you're in the midst of your own life and it's not the way you wanted it to turn out. Or maybe, it's not like it's bad, but there's something that's just not quite clicking. Today's chapter that we're going to go through, uh, the first 12 verses of chapter 3, it's all about how to have a blessing, like how your life can be blessed. And it's a, it's a, certain, it's a certain blessing if If you live the way that we've been talking all week, God's saying, hey, this is how your life will look. So today, it's all about blessings. This is, how do you, do you want your life to be blessed? God's going to offer us all blessings today. We just have to submit to his will. We talked about advertisers earlier this week. So they put up this picture and it's going to like make you happy. The classic example is the McDonald's Big Mac. I don't like Big Macs. Maybe you do. That dressing in that middle bun is a little weird to me. If, if, I, if I do drink, eat like a really low-level fast food burger, it's got to be like a Whopper or something, or like Hardee's like Monster Burger where all my arteries are clogging while I'm eating it and bacon and all that. But have you ever bought something? It's on the advertisement right in front of you. You see the picture of it, and you're like, yeah, that's what I want. And then you get it, and you open it, and it, it's like a different thing, whatever it is. It's... If it's a burger, it's like half the size and kind of squishy and oily. You know, if it's a Subway sandwich that's a foot long, it's like nine and a half inches or whatever, you know. It's like back in the back in my day, they cut like a trough in those bonds and they just filled those things. And now it's like, you know, as little bit as you can. But advertisers often offer you a product and it doesn't always deliver. Or, or you get the thing, and it's not quite what you thought you were getting into. The way it works is they give you a picture of what it could be. This is what the burger is like. This is what the product's like. This is what your life will be like. Oh, man, that looks great. And it's not 
common that it always delivers on all the sales pitch. I mean, I have a lot of products that I ended up getting, and I like them, but did it make my life complete? It actually didn't, and they're often purveying that. They're often pitching that if you have our product, your life will be a little more complete. The scriptures are going to function a little bit like that today. They're going to advertise a wise life. And they're going to say, if you buy this life, this is what your life will look like. The difference between the advertiser or the marketer and the scriptures is the scriptures will actually give you what they're promising. And it's a blessed life. I mean, it's the kind of life you want to live. Today, we're going to dive in and we're going to look at the six blessings in verses, the first 12 verses. And if today you look at your life, I really do wish it was a blessed life. I wish my life was a little different. This is a promise. This is a sales pitch from the Bible. Maybe that's a little crude. It's not like a sales pitch. But it's an offer. And you can have it. There's no strings attached. Well, there's some gracious commands and exhortations to follow. But if you follow those things, you'll see these kinds of blessings in your life. Let's pray and we'll read the passage. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for how kind you are to us. Thank you for the grace you show us each day. Lord, it's been a wonderful week. We have gotten to do a lot of really fun things with our family. We've gotten to see people we probably haven't seen for a while. We've maybe at times had a little extra time than we normally have just to sit and talk and relax. And other times we're going down the zip line and it's crazy fun. But Father, thank you for this week, Lord. Thank you that it's been a good week. Pray, Father, today that as we walk through this passage, your spirit would help us to see the areas in our lives that perhaps we need to get back on that path of wisdom we learned about earlier this week. But Father, you're such a gracious God that you want us on that path, not because you want to make our lives worse, but Father, because you are the originator of life. You designed life. You didn't make it to be bad. You made it to be good. And today, Father, you don't just teach us how to live, but you offer blessing if we would live the way that you instruct us. Father, today I pray that these instructions would sink into our hearts and our minds and would come back. I pray, Father, that these instructions would be a more powerful image for our souls than the advertisements we see in the different places of our lives. Father, thank you for being a gracious and loving God. In your name we pray, amen. Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Would you like a long life with peace? You can have that. You really can have that. Verse 3, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Would you like your reputation with the people around you to be good? Would you like your reputation with God to be good? You can have that. It's not off limits. God doesn't want to hold it back. He wants to offer that to you. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Would you like to know that God has been guiding the steps of your life, even if you don't understand how he's doing that? Would you like to be certain that, I don't know why my life looks the way it does today, but as I've been trusting God, I know that he has a plan and I can rest in that. Would you like that to be your life? You can have that. God doesn't want to hold that back from you. He's not going to like be a miser. He, he's happy to offer it to you today. Verse 7, don't be wise or be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. When's the last time in life you felt refreshed? Has it been a while? Has it been kind of dry, kind of rough? God wants to give you refreshment. He does. Would you like that? You can have that. He doesn't want to hold that back like Scrooge. He wants to generously give that to you. You can have that. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Would you like to have enough? Do you ever feel like you just don't have enough? You just need one more thing? You can have that. You can have a life, even if you're not a billionaire, you can have a life where you have enough that satisfies you. You have plenty, not in the worldly sense of plenty, but in the eternal sense of, I know I have enough and I'm content. Would you like to be content? How long has it been since you felt, I feel like I'm really content with what God's given me? Would you like that? You could have that. God wants to give that to you. He doesn't want to hold that back. You could have a content life. <clears throat> Finally, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Would you like a relationship with God that's a fatherly one. Dads often take their sons out and play baseball or they do things and, or, or their daughters, they take them out and play, I don't know. I got to learn that though. <laughs> I got to figure out what that is. <laughs> play dolls or something? I don't know. You go out and buy dolls? I don't know. <laughs> but it's not always that way, right? Sometimes dad has to discipline you. Would you like a dad in your life who is attentive and wants to teach you how to live? Would you like to know that as the way your life unfolds, God's doing something to shape your soul? To give you trials and give you suffering and give you situations that test your faith so it reveals your heart and then you can learn and grow through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God? Would you like that kind of a life? where it's not nihilistic with no point or no purpose, but you know God is directing this, and he, it's hard sometimes, but God's refining me. He's making me look like his son. Would you like that kind of a life? You can have it. It's not off limits. If your life doesn't look like that, it's not like you have to sign up for a program or pay a bunch of money or go sit through a timeshare pitch or whatever. You don't have to do those sorts of silly things. 
You can come to the word, you can drink it deeply in and walk in these steps and all of these blessings can be yours. Now, I will just say right up front, this is far better than the prosperity gospel that's being pitched today. You know, send me money, the preacher, and God will put a seed of blessing in your life. Man, right here is the real prosperity. This is the real prosperous life. This is the blessed life, and you can have it. I think sometimes people look at Christianity and think, man, everyone's just got to be sad all the time, and you can't have nice things, and all that stuff. Like, you know, when, you, when you're a kid and you break something, and your parents are like, this is why we can't have nice things, you know, we got to use plastic cups, of, you know. I'm a Christian, this is why I can't have nice things in my life. That's not true. You can have contentment, you can have a refreshed soul. How many people do you know, maybe yourself, maybe myself, who are always discontent and they don't realize that the thing they need is a relationship with their creator. The next car, the next house, the next pill, the next drink, the next video game, the next whatever is what they think is going to solve the problem. And right here, God's saying, I want to be your father. I want to shape your life. I want to make you what you were supposed to be before sin entered the picture. And I've made a way through my son's sacrifice and the spirit whom I've sent to administer this word to your life. God wants to do that for you. You can have that kind of a blessed life. Well, how do we do that? Let's, let's walk through the passage. Also, I'm sorry about your notes. You have like two sub points on the first two points and there's like nothing else. I started this way and then I thought I'm not going to do that. And then I sent my notes to the camp uh, office manager and I forgot to delete those. So I'll reference those things, but you won't have fill in the blanks for those. All right. The first blessing is the blessing of, the blessing of obedience comes with a long life. So if we're going to set this up as there's a blessing God offers, but he offers it through it's an admonition or a command or an exhortation or an instruction. You can think of it whatever. Here's the instruction. Do this, but if you do this, this is the blessing you can expect with certainty. Now, we live in a fast food culture, so if I go to McDonald's and I ask for a happy meal, number one, why am I doing that? I don't know. But maybe it's for my kids, okay. Why would I do that? Okay, I go to ask for a happy meal. I'm, what's my wait time? Like, even on a really busy day, like, all the cars are, is it like 20 minutes at most? Number one, why would you wait that long for that? But number two, at the most, it's like 20 minutes in line, right? These kinds of blessings are the kinds that look more like a farmer's field and less like McDonald's drive through So I pay my money, and I get my Happy Meal. Here, I plant the seed... I water it every day, I cultivate it, I pluck the weeds, I make sure things look good, I beat away the birds, or I put up a scarecrow, because I'm cultivating this sort of a thing in my life. These blessings are sure, but there's a test of your faith involved. If you're going to obey the Lord, is it you're going to obey, and then if you don't see the blessing in two minutes, you're out? This is a life, a lifestyle, a habitual pattern of your life. Sometimes you've got to keep working and working and studying and submitting yourself to God. But if you do, this is the blessing you will experience. So what does Solomon say? The admonition is directly to his son or the sons of Israel. Don't forget my teaching. 
And at first you might think forget is just like, oh, I forgot what he told me. Do I, do I murder the person or not murder the person? I can't remember what that commandment was. Okay, again, it's not that kind of forgetting. And you know that because look at the second half of that proverb. Don't forget my teaching, but, that's a contrast word, it means there's a contrast, that's like a difference, but let your heart keep my commandments. He's not concerned with intellectually, do you remember what you should do or shouldn't do? He's concerned with, you've been told, son, now are you going to obey my teaching? And that's always how it works. And also, it's not just an exterior obedience because, well, I don't want to get spanked or something like that by God. It's a from the heart I submit, I love. If you're willing to obey the Lord, if you're willing to open this word and submit to it, if you're willing to get under your pastor and submit to their teaching, if you're willing to meet with another believer who's older and wiser and understands the word and submit to the Spirit's teaching through this word, you can expect that you'll be blessed. And what is the blessing here that he offers? I'm calling it long life up here. I think I'd like to change that. I would like to say it is a content life. A content life. So I put long life up, and I've, since reading it, I really think it's talking about contentment. So notice, and I'll make the, the argument here. Verse 2 says, For length of days and years of life and peace, obeying these teachings will add to you. Length of days, I don't know about you, but 24 hours, oh, 23 point whatever hours is like, I mean, that's a, we can't really change the length of a day. When Solomon says this, he knows that, but what he's saying is, your days are filled to the brim. They're just, they're very good days. And years of life, you're having years of fruitful, life-filled goodness. The idea is that it's a good life and you're content with it. Everything that's happening, this is what you wanted. And then it says, peace will be added to you. I don't know about you, but peace is not always the way I would characterize my life. That doesn't mean I'm always at war with someone and I'm putting my dukes up or I have a gun or anything like that. Uh, but I'm often discontent and I would say that doesn't feel peaceful. I really want and I'm not satisfied and I'm always like tense trying to make it happen, trying to find the next thing. But here, if you obey God and submit yourself to that, what happens in your life you are content with and you have peace, this deep contentment idea that's going on here. For the Israelite, and this is different than us, the peace would come by obeying the Old Testament Mosaic law. They were given the law at Mount Sinai through Moses, and they knew they should follow the Ten Commandments and then all of the Levitical codes. For here, they're saying you need to be following that teaching that Solomon's imparting to his son. So we don't need to go out and sacrifice. Christ has made a new way for us, but I do think the principle stands. Do you want a content life? Do you want a life that even if it's short, seems like it was long because it was so good? You can have that. But it doesn't come by disobeying to grab those things you don't have that you're not content with. It comes by saying, I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to obey him and be content with what he gives. Many times we disobey because we are not satisfied with what we have. If you would obey God, if you would make it, I'm going to purpose today to obey this word, the, the life that grows out of that farm ground that you cultivate will be a life of contentment 
and it very well may be a long life. Children, obey your parents unto the Lord, for this is right, that it may go well with you. May You may live long in the land. There's actually a length tied to this. So I don't want to cut it off that it's not at all a long life. But I think contentment is the underlying principle that would definitely apply to us today. One commentator said it like this. The peace, the contentment, the long life, it sounds like this. It's having every sufficiency needed and good fortune, free from hostility and free from lack, and so filled with inner contentment, delight, and joy, and pleasure as though it was a gift from God. Only God can truly give you the ability to be content like that. If you'd like to read more about that, write down Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 is a great place. It talks about God uh, being the one who actually allows you to be content and to enjoy the things that you've been given. So this is why, and you know this, you have people who are very wealthy and very well off, but they're not always content. If you're not wealthy, you look at that and you think, man, I just need that, and then I would be content. But really, this is why someone who doesn't have all those things but obeys the Lord faithfully just comes off content and peaceful, and you don't know why. You're like, why are you, you don't have a good house, you don't have all this stuff, why are you so content? Because they've submitted to God and they're willing to accept what God is offering. The next blessing we should talk about is the blessing of being righteous. The blessing of being righteous. And that blessing, if you would live a righteous life, a life that's patterned by the righteousness of the scriptures, the blessing you can expect is a good reputation. A good reputation. Verse 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Forsake is like to, to walk away and not come back or to reject and push away completely. If I forsake wise counsel, I'm plugging my ears in a sense, and I'm not listening to what wise counsel is saying. Here, what Solomon is saying, son, don't let these two things ever leave your life. Now, it's not like he gets up and walks away. Oh, there went steadfast love, and oh, well, there went faithfulness. But the idea is you need to be steadfastly loving, and you need to be faithful, and that's a weird thing to say. But whenever you see steadfast love in the Old Testament, it's a special kind of love. God has it for his chosen people, the Israelites, and it's unconditional, it's always for them, it's always for the best of them. And so when Solomon says, son, you need to have that same kind of love, he's likely imploring his son to remember for them, it would have been the law. For us, I would say the principle is that we need to remember the word of God and live our lives according to it. Faithfulness is definitely referring to being faithful to the teachings he's delivered. For us, I would say it's being faithful to the scriptures. If you live that way, you will end up having a good reputation. I often talk to students, and they don't know what to do in a job situation, and I just recommend just be a really good worker. Be faithful. Don't cheat. Work hard. And they often will tell me, yeah, man, today at work, I totally slacked off for however long. And it's you know, an hour, half hour, you're not working like you should, and they feel bad about it, and they're going to try to turn away from that. I remember having those days, too. I remember thinking man, I'm really a lazy worker. All these people are seeing me a Christian, a lazy worker. We're not playing the comparison game. Okay, don't play the comparison game. This is what you compare your life to. But when you say, I'm going to purpose to live according to this, 
your standard of living, the, the, the goal, the, the way you're going to carry out your life is going to look vastly different than a person who doesn't want to live according to God's word. And those of you who have tried to do that, you'll know that you do it imperfectly, don't you? You're in your job and you snap at the coworker and you drop a curse word and, and all these things happen. And yet at the same time, because you're faithful and you're, you're, you are different, it ends up giving you a good reputation. There's a couple of reasons you want that good reputation. Number one, it probably help you out in a job interview or getting a, a promotion. But number two, it's a great opportunity to share the gospel. When everyone at work is making fun of someone who totally, in the world's eyes, deserved it because the guy was a total jerk as a coworker, and you keep your mouth shut, and they're like, hey, why aren't you making fun of him? You have an opportunity to say, well, my Lord is gracious and forgiving, and he doesn't want us to slander, and I could have been that way if it weren't for Christ in my life, and so I don't want to slander him. You can do that, and everyone will look at you sideways. But... That might be a seed that gets planted. Why is that person different? Hey, you could, the boss is not looking. You could totally get away with whatever you want. Why don't you share the gospel? Because I'm a believer in Jesus, because he's forgiven me of those kinds of sins, and I want to honor him. That guy's weird. Okay, man, that lady, she's kind of kooky. But what else are they going to see? Contentment, peace, joy, the fruits of the Spirit. And when their life starts to look bad and they see your life is different, that reputation is an open door for a gospel conversation. I think sometimes we get scared to share the gospel, and I do too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to, what do you say, how do you do it? And so you feel like you're, you got to walk up to someone awkwardly and be like, here's a track, read this, and I want to talk to you about it. And I'm not saying that's wrong, there's people who get saved that way. But sometimes having an upright testimony to where people don't understand why you do the things you do, that's the open door that we really need to share the gospel. It's a consistent life that matches the good news you're going to present. There's a lot of benefits to this. Now, the big one is that you have a good reputation with God. God sees it and he's pleased by it. You end up looking sort of like Job. When God goes to describe Job to Satan and he says how great he is, which also puts a giant target on Job's back because it is assaulting God's character and Satan doesn't want God to have a good character. You can have that good reputation. You can. Is your reputation trashed a little bit in your life? The way to fix it is not what you'd think. There's a church I know about um, and a pastor took a position. The one pastor moved to a different church and this next pastor moved in. And he, after a couple of months, discovered, whoa, this church has a really bad reputation in this town. There had been some bad things that had taken place, and the pastor had done and said some things that didn't really represent Christ well. And so the pastor was at a crossroads. What do we do to fix this reputation issue? There's a lot of ways you could do it. You could rebrand. So if, you're at, if you have any sort of a business and you're involved in it, you know what a rebrand is. It's you change your name, your logo, your mission statement, your core values, your all that stuff. And it's almost like you get reborn. You're a new thing. We're not what we that we're not that, we're this. And it's an easy way to just cut off that reputation. You're new, you're different. Oh yeah, we're not like them. He didn't choose to do that. I don't I've not ever talked to him about this, so I don't know why. He did this. He started going to all the shops in town, 
talking to them, getting to know owners. He started eating his breakfast every day at this one restaurant and trying to talk to people. He started visiting neighbors in the community. He started having his church do things. So like if there's a little like parade through the town, you know, the church does a float and does kind, good works to the people. And you know what happened? The reputation changed. And it really improved. Now it took uh, half a decade, a decade, You could do the rebrand, which is a lot like McDonald's. You just cut it off, and it takes it's a short amount of time, and, well, we don't have to deal with that. That's not us. We're this. Or you could do the farming one, where you plant the seed, you cultivate a godly life in front of people, and you build a new reputation. I'm not saying there's no place for this, by the way. But for you, a person, you can't rebrand yourself. You can't, like, cut yourself off, rename yourself, and I'm not that person I was two days ago. You have to just, you have to live differently. That's, that's the thing. That's the challenge. And it feels, man, if you're trying to re, redo your reputation, it can feel really difficult and, and, and defeating. And man, is this going anywhere? But be faithful. Don't let faithfulness forsake you. Trust in the Lord. Keep living according to his word. And the blessing you can guarantee you will see at one point in your life is that your reputation before God and before the other people you work with will improve. It might be in your family. Maybe as a parent you have some issues with how you've dealt with your children. Uh, I know my, ten my tendency is to snap, like just like bark, 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 you know, at my children. And often if I look at my heart, I'm not really concerned about their soul. or I'm just, I'm tired of this practice they're doing here. Stop it. Man. I need to not do that. That's not loving. That's not addressing the heart. That's, you know, I mean, there's a, the, I mean, if he's running into the street, hey, hey, stop, you know, you got you to yell and stop him, okay? My brother was riding his tricycle and he was like two toward the street. I've never seen my mom move so quickly. She's bolting across the yard and she literally like, here's the street and she like runs parallel to the street, scoops him and the trike up and turns right as a Lincoln town car goes by. So you got to do that. You got to take extreme measures sometimes. What do I need to do? I need to be more gentle. I need to be more careful. Now, I could go to my, and, and I could address it, but is my son or my daughter, if that's been my habit, when are they going to believe what I say? It's when I've shown them over time, hey, this is how I'm doing things. That's, that takes the work of the Holy Spirit, but God, God promises you that's a blessing you, you can expect. The third blessing that this passage talks about uh, is a secure future. You can have a secure future. You can know that what's coming is not outside of God's control and it's not a mistake. How do you get that blessing? The admonition is that you need to trust the Lord. The thing to obey is, are you going to trust God or are you going to trust yourself? So verse 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So there's a positive aspect to this command and a negative aspect. The positive aspect is that when it comes to God, you need to trust him. And you need to trust him at an interior level, like a heart level, a mind level, a soul level. Are you going to trust the Lord with what your life ends up looking like? There's a negative one. And lean not on your understanding. What does it mean to lean? And how do you lean on understanding? Well, if there's a counter here and I started leaning on it because I'm tired, I'm re 
lying on that counter to hold me up. So the idea is, don't rely on your own ability to understand things. That's what it looks like to trust the Lord. You can't escape from leaning on your own understanding. There's no way to avoid leaning on your own understanding if you don't understand or even know what God's understanding is. So sometimes we have the right desire. I want to trust God. I want to trust Him with my whole heart. But you don't understand what God expects. You don't know what God wants. Even though you want to, you do have a desire, you're going to be naturally stuck in leaning in your own understanding. So the, the key way I would say is getting into this book and studying it. Notice I didn't say reading it. I'm not opposed to reading the Bible. But what you really need to do is study it. Learn from it. Talk to someone who understands how to handle it and start learning to do that. Go to men's Bible study, lady Bible studies. Get books that explain the Bible. When that happens, you can learn what it looks like to trust in God. Now, what's the blessing? Verse 6, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Oh, that, sorry, that's one more. And that, the idea is that whatever I'm doing, I could say this is what God would want me to do. Whatever I'm watching, however I'm behaving at work, whatever purchase I'm making, I could say this is what God would want me to do. Now, man, don't let that... That could become a real big bind on your conscience. Can I buy two cups of coffee today? Would God want me to buy two cups of coffee? You could really fret over that. So with that one, think of it more like this. Start with, hey, this is, this is, this is a sin. Would God want me to do that sin? No, then I should stay away from it. As you grow and develop, I think you can do the former, but the former might, as you grow, it might be too hard. It might be too con like constraining. You might feel like you can't do anything unless you know for sure. Start off with, if it's something God tells me not to, then I, I can't acknowledge him as I do that, so I'm not going to do that. What's the blessing? He will make straight your paths. I mean, how can you know how to plan your life? I remember I was at community college the year, after, year out of high school, and I kept thinking, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a math teacher? No. <laughs> no. My wife's laughing. When I like, look at a spreadsheet in a deacon's meeting back when I was a deacon, I would literally just stare at the front page and think, what are all these numbers? What do you, why is it like this? My buddy, on uh, page 3, line 187, column Z, there's a slight discrepancy with, yeah, I know, I don't know, I'm not, that's not okay, I can't do that. Do I want to be like a chef? No, I'm not going to be a chef. When we met, I couldn't make macaroni and cheese, and I didn't know how to make canned soup. I literally thought it was like you had to put water and other things with it, and you should, my oh, it's wonderful, wonderful. Now I know how to do things like that. But, there's a point at which, <clears throat> let me think through how to say this. When it comes to planning your life, I, I didn't know what path to take, and so I just started trying. I, I did some classes, and I did this, and man, I didn't know, and I remember being paralyzed. Like, I can't do anything until I know. You, if you're in that situation, and you're in a career, and you don't know if you need to make a change, 
or there's a family issue and you don't know which way to deal with it. Sometimes the long end game plan that God has for your life isn't going to be made known to you yet. I would Don't raise your hand, but just reflect. How many of you, where you are right this minute in life, what you do, who you married, how you work, if you're not married or you are married, what church you're at, what state you're in, if 20 years ago, or maybe only 10 years ago, or maybe 50 years ago, you were to say, what did I know then? Is there any way you could have imagined God would have brought you to this place in your life? Often, I don't know where my future's going. If I look back, though, I can sort of see the way God's doing things. I really doubt Moses growing up would have, you know, one day I really want to start a new nation and I want to take it all the way through the desert for 40 years because that sounds like a good idea. And then I want to look at, a, you know, I doubt he would have known all that, but you notice how God prepared him? 40 years in Egypt, working in politics and running a country, and then 40 years in the desert, working with obstinate sheep. And then he's leading God's people obstinately through the desert, running the country. I mean, it's like you can see God prepared him for that. If you trust in the Lord, maybe it's not that clear cut, you'll look back and you'll go, oh, God was taking care of me. Proverbs 20, 24 says this, a man or be woman, a person's steps are directed by the Lord. Seems obvious enough, right? Okay, God directs your steps. But it goes on to say this. It's a question. Who, then, can know their own way? If God is directing your steps and he hasn't revealed where you're ending, how could you ever know? doesn't mean you don't try. doesn't mean you don't look. You don't plan. But in the unknown of your future, are you willing to trust God until he makes it clear? While you're trusting God and you don't know what to do, are you willing to continue not forsaking steadfast love and not letting loving kindness and faithfulness leave your life? Sometimes I think God wants us just to be faithful and consistent where we are and he'll move things forward. There's a cool proverb, (laughs) a Portuguese proverb I ran into as I was reading a book about this. It says, God writes straight with crooked lines. God writes straight with crooked lines. Isn't that true? Like, look back at your life. You did this, and you didn't know what's going on, and and then you you go over here, and then you end up here, and you see how God used all that in where you're going. But even if you don't see it, you know if you're trusting God, he's watching over your life, and it's going right where he wants it to. You can have that blessing. You can have the blessing of even in the midst of not knowing where you can know who is guiding it. You may not know where, but you can know the who that's guiding it. We trust him. That's all you got to do. Trust all you got to do, like it's easy. But all you have to do is trust him, and you can be sure of that. The next blessing is the blessing of a refreshed soul. The blessing of a refreshed soul. How do we get that? How does that come to us? It comes through humility, from being humble. All right, verse... Seven, do not be wise. Now, if we stop the verse there, that would be a total contradiction with the entire book of Proverbs. But it doesn't stop there. Do not be wise in whose eyes? In your own eyes. 
The idea here is that I know best, I already know, I don't need to be corrected. Solomon's probably referencing the fool who is not teachable and won't listen to anyone for help. In your life, if you have godly believers who are trying to help you think through issues, are you willing to listen to them? If not, in some sense, you're actually being wise in your own eyes. You're saying, I'm wise, I don't need to listen to this. But if you're willing to listen to wisdom, that's an attitude of humility. We talk, this is what we talked about earlier this week. What does he say? He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. And then here's the positive command. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. I would say there's a little bit of a contrast. If I'm wise in my own eyes, I don't know that it's possible, at least in that area, for me to say I'm fearing the Lord. I don't think it's possible. I'm too arrogant. I'm too self filled with righteousness. I know best, and why would I even listen to God? But if I'm humble, it puts me in a position where I am able to be fearing the Lord, and then next, turn away from evil. Again, that's that same obedience theme we saw back in verses 1 and 2. Humility always leads to obedience. It's never leading away from obedience. Arrogance and rebellion lead away from obedience. If you're willing to have a humble attitude before the Lord, submit yourself to his word, and even if you don't understand why, turn away from sin, the blessing you can expect is a life that is refreshed. Now, this is cool. It says, it will be healing to your flesh. Now, my Bible has a little footnote there, and it says navel. That's not the orange. That's your belly button. Now, I'm just, if I was going to try to encourage you, listen, God wants to give you a good life. If you would be humble, he will refresh your belly button. <laughs> I don't think it's talking about the lint, okay? Like, why would he say that? Okay, this is a, we'll do a quick timeout on Hebrew poetry. All right, so Hebrew poetry is often metaphorical, or it's uh, metonymous, or th there's different poetic words that are going on here. Where on my body is my belly button located if you compare it to my feet and my head? I mean, that's like almost the direct middle of my body, right? And so when he's saying there will be, let me make sure I get the right, there will be healing to your navel or your flesh, I think he's saying healing right at the center of you. I think that's what he's getting at. I don't think any Hebrew listening to this would have thought, oh, I'm good. I've had this little infection in my navel that I'm kind of embarrassed about. Good, that'll clear up if I just get humble. I, I, that's not it. it it's, like, it's like a metaphor. And then he goes on, and I think this is what proves it. He says, it will be refreshment to your bones. Now, again, I know you've got osteoporosis. I don't think this is going to heal you of that. But where are your bones in your body? They're actually inside you. They're actually like in the center-ish of you. So both of those body parts are, are, I think, metaphors for the middle of your life, the center of your life, the interior of your life. Far better than physical healing. I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that. Physical healing is really important. Uh, I, I really was praying, I mean, we, we really want physical healing. I don't want to downplay that. But far better than physical healing is internal health and refreshment. If you run around and do disc golf out here, or you go to the blob, or <laughs> you use those water bikes that are very efficient, 
I did the paddle boat with Evan three years ago or four years ago, and it was all me. And I weighed way more than him, so the paddle boat was like this in the water. And I mean, it was so inefficient. I'm like pedaling nine miles an hour, and we're going backwards. It was just bad. But you get done doing whatever your big exertion level event is here at camp, and you go to the snack shack, and you order a smoothie or a water or whatever, and you drink that, and that just cools you off to your core. And it feels so good, and you just needed that. If I offered you a hot coffee, I mean, even I would be like, I'm sweating. I don't want hot coffee. I want something cold because that's refreshing. But never, never would that ever refresh my life if I'm depressed, if I'm walking in sin, if I'm not content. Yeah, if I got a physical, physically I need cool water to cool my body off, I understand, drink cold water. But spiritually, if I'm famished, exhausted, I'm dry spiritually, the next beer is not going to solve that problem. The next video game is not going to solve that problem. The next $100,000 I make is not going to solve that problem. A bigger boat, a better car, more things, more stuff, better relationships with people who I want to impress, None of that can get to your insides. None of that can get to your soul to refresh you. Being humble, fearing the Lord, and turning away from evil, it's countercultural. It's not intuitive. That'll actually give you refreshment. Do you want to be refreshed? Right here, this is how you can be refreshed. This is not a maybe, maybe not. This is certain. Begin being not wise in your own eyes. Be humble. Turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and watch. Those things that just used to capture your soul that you desired so much that you couldn't stop thinking about, they, begin, they become dim. The, my favorite song that was sung yesterday, my favorite song is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It's so true. Think about the words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look at him. Have a vision of him that's clear. What is he like? Who is he? What does he do for you? How wonderful is he? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face. Like really ponder what he's like. Who is he? What has he done for us? How much does he love you? And what's the result? The things of earth will grow. And then my favorite word in the whole line of the chorus is strangely. I love it. Strangely dim strangely dim. They're like the brightest things to us when we want them. But you fear the Lord. You turn away from evil. You don't be wise in your eyes and be humble. And suddenly those things that used to capture your soul aren't as appealing. Your soul wants to be satisfied. It will always want to be satisfied. The only way to refresh your soul is fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. You can have that blessing, though. You can have that. It's not off limits. If you've never had that before, it's not like you can never have it. Right here. Look to Jesus. Look to him. Fear him, and your life will change. It's, it's a certainty. It might take a little while. You might have to learn it. You might have to rely on some other Christians to teach you. But it will be refreshed. Every advertisement is actually playing on this deep desire for having a satisfied life. And you can have it. God wants you to have it. He's not trying to hold it back. The next blessing is wealth. I'm going to be careful with this one. Wealth, I don't want you, I want to be, uh, well, there's a certain preacher out there I don't want to sound like. <clears throat> oh, you know. Uh, anyways. 
Isn't that funny? We can just do that. And, yeah, you get it. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your produce. So the idea here is honor isn't, um, it isn't like take your money and put his face on your money to show how much you care about him. Roman, Roman emperors would do that. Kings in the old would do that to show how great they were. And that's not what it's talking about. It's, it's honoring him like give money to him. So at church, you collect an offering. That's part of the way we give back to God because we're so thankful for what he's done for us. There's a counterintuitive principle here too. Uh, if you were to get a lesson on finances from Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge that is, uh, he would tell you, hold on to every last little penny, count them all, exact every bit of interest you can, be very careful not to let your wealth go out of your hands. Is that the picture we get right here in this verse? No, actually, wealth is a tool. If you've been blessed with wealth, praise the Lord, because you can do things that other people would long to do but can never do, like give that money away or give it to the Lord, or use it for ministry. Ephesians 5 talks, it's really great. If you've never read Ephesians 4 and 5 today, go read Ephesians 4 and 5. It tells you there's this old life you used to be a part of. Here's this new life you're a part of. Stop living the new life according to the ways you used to live the old life. So when you weren't saved, before you knew the Lord, you stole. Or you, there's lots of sins he lists. We'll pick stealing because he talks about that. He says the thief must no longer steal, but what would you expect the opposite to be? Not steal? I don't know. But he says he must work. Okay, good. And work with his hands. Why? Let the thief no longer steal. Let him work with his hands so that, oh, he's going to give us the reason so that he doesn't break the commandments, so that he doesn't sin. Okay, the all would be good answers, but he says, so that he will have in abundance to share with those who are in need. If you have been blessed with wealth, the reason God's blessed you is so that you can use it for other believers and other people who are in need. That's counterintuitive to our penny-pinching culture, especially when the offering plate goes by especially when there's a family in our church who are in need. Man, now you don't want to be unwise with your cash. The Proverbs talks about that too. But the one who gives away the money in honor of the Lord, saying, you've given this to me, I trust you, I want to do good things with this to serve you, and whatever it is that you're doing, that's actually honoring to God. And do you know what it says? It says in verse 10, then when you do that, your barns will be filled with what? Opulence? Riches, no, it says plenty, plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. The picture here, in my opinion, is that you will have plenty. You'll have plenty. As you give away what you have that you've been blessed with, sometimes you learn you didn't need that that badly. There are some things we're so attached to on this earth, the things of earth, and sometimes giving them away shows us, oh, I didn't actually need that as badly as I thought. That actually wasn't the thing I needed to rely on. Oh, I didn't need to be trusting and having a lot of those things. Now, don't go out and be unwise and squander your money. There's a lot of Proverbs, chapters 10 to 29, that talk about this. But taking your money, taking the extra that you have and using it for the Lord, that's a way you honor Him. And if you do that, you'll have plenty. 
You'll always have plenty. Would you like to have plenty? Would you like to have enough? I don't know who it is. There's some wealthy person, and he, they were interviewed. You can Google it. We've learned this week that's an easy way to find things. I, all the time. They said, how much money would you need to say you have enough? Does anyone know what the guy said? It's pretty famous. Just one more dollar, yep. And the idea is, well, what number is that? But that's the thing is he always wants just a little more. That infects us today. That pervades our existence. Living according to God's path, you have plenty. It's actually a type of satisfaction. All right, and the last blessing you can expect is the blessing, if you would obey God, if you would submit to him, is that you can have a fatherly love. You can have a father or a fatherly love or a fatherly relationship. This is great because it's kind of counterintuitive to all the rest of the blessings. You know, I really want length of days. I want a content life. I really want, verse 4, a good reputation. I really want, verse 6, a life where I know that God is guiding it and I can trust him. I just need to be faithful. He'll sort my direction out. I really want, verse 8, a satisfied soul, you know, refreshment in my insides. I really want, verse 10, to have plenty, what I need, and be satisfied with it. But verse 12, do I really want God disciplining me? Do I really want him rebuking me and correcting me? It's just, it seems like something shifted here. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. To despise is just another way of saying to rebel. So if, if you instruct a child to do something, they say no. Or even if they don't say no and they just don't obey, that's a type of rebellion. And God gives us instructions. A lot of them are right here. And when we look at this and we say either literally, I don't think that's right, God. Like when, the, I, when I saw the verse that said the heart is deceitful, I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> that is wrong. That, that was right. When we look at this and we verbally say, no, I don't think that's right. Or when we with our life say, eh, not going to do that. We're actually despising God's instructions. And at times, he's going to put us in a path to grow. Sometimes we think of discipline like the always it's a punishment. But in the Bible, you, it's hard to separate discipline from like punishment and then more like, this is a plan to get you to grow up. If you've raised children... Man, you want, to, you want a plan to teach them to be ready for life one day. Sometimes that involves, if you don't do this, there's a consequence. Sometimes that involves times of teaching so your son or daughter know what to do next. Sometimes that's, there's lots of things involved in discipline more than just a punishment. Wouldn't it be cool to know that God has this plan to grow you up and to make you what you're supposed to be? And when suffering comes... That's part of that plan to refine you. Wouldn't that be cool to know that? When a trial comes that, oh, I am, this is crazy, this trial. Wouldn't it be cool to say, oh, God's working in this to change me so I look more like his son? Wouldn't it be cool to know that? It would give context and meaning and purpose to all of these things in life that seem senseless at times. If, if you don't reject the wisdom of this book, if you don't despise it, you can be certain that what God allows to happen in your life was actually not just, it's not just that it had like good to it, there's a silver lining, custom built for you. 
there are things that have happened in my life where no one else would realize that it had anything to do to help me. But I know in my heart, man, I just realized how discontent I am. Or man, I just realized how selfish of a person I am. And not just me doing selfish things. Something else happens around me and I have to deal with that thing over there. And guess what? That's stupid and that's dumb. And why didn't that person think better? Why would that happen? That needs to stop. And yet, what is God doing in my heart in my quiet times? Oh, you're really self-centered. You actually don't care at all about that because you care about God. You just don't like the inconvenience of it. God is masterful at using one thing in a million different ways in all of our lives. But you can't reject his discipline. You can't reject his training program. It's like a coach. If you've played sports, I played baseball. I was mediocre. They put me on first base because I had a wild arm. I couldn't throw like places. I'd throw to third base and it's in center field. And, uh, you know, you, you, you run a play, and the play doesn't work. Okay, take a lap, guys. And, you know, I, one of you missed your plan. Oh, and everyone's mad, and you run around. the. Does it help you learn how to throw a double play, like com- complete a double play, okay? Get a guy out at first and second. Does it really help you to do that by running around the field one time? No, and like literally no connection to the actual thing you're supposed to learn. Or if you're playing basketball and you do something wrong and you have to run ladders, I never played basketball because that just sounds horrible. My buddy, he's like running ladders. It's like basically you run a little ways, you run back. Then you run a little ways further, you run back. Then you run a little ways further, run back. Then you run the whole length of the court, and you run back, and you puke. (laughs) Why? Why do you do that to yourself? Okay, so there's a play you're supposed to play, and one person forgets their role, and okay, run ladders, guys. How does that help you run the play? The coach knows best. The coach understands that you need to remember and pay attention. You weren't paying attention, so this negative thing's going to happen, and it's going to teach you to remember, because you don't want that to happen, so focus. It's giving you a better feedback loop in your life. At the same time, if I'm running laps all the time, what's that do for my conditioning? More than I want it to. Let's just say that. Okay? But God's like that. This discipline idea is very similar to that, so don't just think getting spanked or punished. It's a plan. It's this custom-built thing for you to look more like Jesus one day if you've trusted him and know him. It's like the way a mom or a dad treats their child. There are a lot of kids who I look at, and I'm probably like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. But I don't walk over and start investing. Oh, you shouldn't do this. Like, they're not my kids. No, they don't care about them. They're just not my responsibility. And sometimes I'm thankful for that. But for my own kids, if I treated them like, oh, I don't care, do whatever you want, what's going to happen to my child one day? They're not going to know how to live. They're not going to understand the severity of issues. They're not going to understand any of that. And they're going to get off on the wrong path. And did I care about them? No. I cared about me. That seemed too hard. I don't want to do that. If God didn't love you, he would just let you do whatever you want. But he loves you. When he's letting a discipline plan happen in your life, it's it's an evidence of his love. There are people who struggle with knowing if they're saved. And sometimes they want to like have a certain feeling all the time when they're at church or they want to feel like a mystical connection to God. But in the Bible, the evidence that you're his son is that he's disciplining you, that he's shaping you, that he's molding you, that he's changing your life, that he's directing your steps that the Spirit's convicting you of sin. That's the evidence that you're his son. 
And evidence that my son is my son is, number one, he looks like me and he's way too loud, which is like me. But secondly, that I'm investing in him. I'm working with him. I'm trying to teach him how to be ready for life one day. And that's the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. That's the fear of the Lord. Let's have, I just want to give a couple of takeaways. Sorry, this is not in your notes. And I apologize for not giving you space to write this. When you step back, see, we've looked at three chapters-ish in Proverbs. My encouragement for you now is to look at all of the rest on your own. Um, There are 31 chapters in Proverbs, and many months of the year have 31 days. Some only have 30, and then there's that weird one with 28 or 29. But if every day you said, I'm just going to read one chapter in Proverbs and think about it. Do the rest thing. Read it. Examine it. Scribble about it. And then talk to someone else in your church about it. Do that every day with a chapter that matches today's date. So today is the 2nd, okay? It's July 2nd. Go to Proverbs chapter 2 and read it and meditate on it. Tomorrow it's the 3rd. Pick Proverbs chapter 3, meditate on it. That's like your study plan for the rest of the summer. I'm going to call you. There will be a quiz in August, okay? I will send it out on Zoom. And no, I'm not going to do that. But... This is meant to be a giant diving board for you to jump into the refreshing waters of Proverbs and start swimming around in your own personal study. But before you go there, I want to give you a couple of takeaways. Number one, in Proverbs, wisdom looks more like obedience than strategy. Wisdom looks more like obedience than strategy, although... As we saw in chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, there is a strategy to avoiding sin. When you think of wisdom, don't just think of wise financial planning. Think of it's wise to obey God. In a situation where I've decided am I going to obey or not, the wise move is to obey. It actually looks a lot more like James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James 3, 13 through 18. Secondly, the second takeaway is that the fear of the Lord looks a lot more like loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It looks a lot more like that than just terror or just awe and amazement. It really, if I'm tying it to something in the New Testament, I'm tying it to the great commandment because I really think that's what the fear of the Lord is. If you want to know more about that, Dr. Little has a really great presentation of how to think about the fear of the Lord. He's an OT guy. He gets it. It's really good. So walk out of here today knowing that to fear God really is to love him. Thirdly, oh, this is where I should have said, wisdom looks more like James 3, 13 through 18 and less like showing, having a good showing on the NASDAQ. That's the stock market. When you think of wisdom, think in moral categories. Think in righteousness categories because that's what biblical wisdom is. And then the last takeaway I want us to walk out with is that the fear of the Lord looks more like the center of a loving relationship with God and less like the cherry on top of the Christian life ice cream sundae. It looks more like the center of a loving relationship with God and less like the cherry on top of the Christian life ice cream sundae. Sometimes I think we read Proverbs like, oh yeah, we should fear God. Like We need to add that on. But it's actually, it's like the center of our walk with God is to fear him to love him. 
Thank you for being good attending listeners. Thank you for putting up with me. This summer, I'm serious. I really think you should study Proverbs on your own for the rest of the summer. This is a low-hanging fruit book. This is one of those books where like, it's not hard to pull some wisdom every day that helps to instruct you. And it's often really interesting. So that would be my admonition before you go. Study Proverbs this summer. It will be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for being so kind to us. Thank you for showing us grace and mercy. Lord, thank you for the book of Proverbs. Lord, thank you that the wisdom is entirely practical. The wisdom is the kind that helps us in our day-to-day life, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would bless us as we study it, that you would help us to walk faithfully according to your word. In your son's name we pray, amen.